Welcome to the Whiskey Stories Podcast. But what I love, and I'm so proud to say that I work with Grant's Club because they're still a family-owned business. Yeah. And the family still work in the business as well, and they still very much have their say. I was brought up on the Isle of Harris. Yes. And my first language was Gaelic. Yeah, teach us any naughty words. Just <laughs> <laughs> easy for the podcast. I mean, the most important thing you need to know is Ishkebeta. That's water of life. That's whiskey. That's whiskey. Welcome back to the Whiskey Stories podcast with myself, Graham Cogar. We are joined back in the tiny little back room of the Diggers Athletic Arms pub in Edinburgh. I've got Angus, a whiskey fan, and we are joined with Hazel McLeod, otherwise known as Hazy Drams on Instagram. <laughs> How are you guys? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good. It's a, it's a busy night in the pub tonight. It's cozy in here, yeah. It's very warm it's and very cozy. nice night. And uh, we've got a couple of drums in front of us, Angus. How we are do, you? Indeed, yeah, I'm very good. Thank you, Graham. Yeah, very good. It's a lot quieter in here today because because Ross Barr is not <laughs> is not with us. <laughs> Ross is away, but there'll still there'll still be plenty of chat. There'll still be plenty of chat. And as Ross is away, we felt Angus that we just were not qualified enough, so we had to bring in another whiskey professional, somebody that actually knows <laughs> what they're talking about. Professional is a bold term to be using, but I'll accept it. Put that on my CV. Well, it's uh, it, it, you know it's the Whiskey Stories podcast for anyone who's listening for the first time, and to give Hazel a, a little understanding of it, we don't take it very seriously. We don't take, but it's just us sitting in a pub in the back room of a pub drinking drams and talking about whiskey. So if that's your thing, then carry on listening. And if you want to, if that's what you're into, Hazel, as well, then even better. I mean, that's basically my job, so it's well, great. That's exactly it. And I keep hearing and meeting and coming across people. We had Kevin on last week who's, you know, he talks about part of his job is sourcing whiskey for the pub. And he does his trips up north. He goes into Speyside. He goes into all the different distillers across the Isla, packs the tent, takes the dog and buys a load of whiskey. I think that sounds great. Speak to Ross, who's working in the whiskey industry and think, we're in the wrong job, Angus. <laughs> we really are. <laughs> you know, it's just like, we have to do it in our own free time. We don't. I know, we're not even getting paid for this. We believe get... it or not, this is this is voluntary service, <laughs> community service, you could say. But no, listen, it's great. It's great to be back in the pub, and it's great to have another couple of whiskies. And uh, the pub is busy, so if you can hear that nice ambiance in the background, we're not faking it. This is us in a real pub in Edinburgh. So if you're listening on the other side of the world, this is the authentic experience you're getting. So Hazel. You work in whiskey. What do you do? I do indeed. So my official title is I'm the Business Development Executive at William Grant & Sons, but oh. it's just a very swanky title for I'm a sales rep. So sales I rep. visit all of the on-trade outlets, so bars, restaurants, golf clubs, everything from Edinburgh to St Andrews, Falkirk, and I do some of the borders as well, but Edinburgh is my, my main territory, as I they call it. it, so that's my main focus. Coming here a lot? Oh, yeah. yeah. Love the diggers. My favourite pub in Edinburgh, good pint of Guinness, good little dram. So you can't argue with that, can oh, you? Oh, I know. Always oh, so many characters in here as well. Always a great atmosphere. And I mean, Kev's just a legend as well. So Yeah, I mean, he was on the show last week and uh, I think, you know, as I say, he was just telling stories about stories from the pub uh, yeah. involved two bulldogs um, <laughs> making puppies. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell me any story that's happened in the diggers and I wouldn't even be surprised. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah. Someone, I bet that happened. <laughs> the, the, the story as well, another an unrelated uh, story to the the previous bulldog story was someone once came into the pub and bought a dog and left with with a dog. So, uh, <laughs> you know the phrase, "Wait to see a man about a dog." Uh, when you nipped down to the pub for a pint, and this guy actually came home with a dog. So, uh, congratulations to them, and that was that was great. But yeah, I mean, the largest opened whiskey collection in Edinburgh is the claim. And I we're think going he's to got the to largest that. collection of Glenfiddich in oh, really? Edinburgh as well, so probably uh, topping Mr. Mark Thompson's cupboard as well. So well, that's quite a yeah, that's quite it's an quite accolade. a statement. But yeah. 
I'll proudly throw that out there. I'm saying that with confidence. Now, the interesting thing is, and congratulations to you, because you're the first person on this podcast who can speak Gaelic. I can, yes. Right. So, tell us a little bit of Gaelic. So, first of all, I hate to be that person. It's yeah. Irish Gaelic and a Scottish Gaelic. So Gaelic. I was brought so. up on the Isle of Harris. Yes. And my first language was Gaelic. And then I learned English in school. So then, because usually back at home, you go to school, then everyone usually learns English because you're bound to end up on the mainland, as we call <laughs> it at some point, whether that's for university or if you're going out for work. So learn English in school. So she Gaelic and Priya Khanan a hakam. So it's my first language. Yes, be me bring Gaelic Maastricht and the Hamiyaki as Nahilanen. So I'm normally speak it when I'm at home in the islands. Wow, there you go, there you go, Angus. <laughs> Can you teach us any naughty words? It's <laughs> <laughs> easy for the podcast. I mean, the most important thing you need to know is Ishkebeha. That's water of life. That's whiskey. That's whiskey. And mm. tell you what, when I was working in Distel, I swear the only reason that I was hired by them was because I could pronounce all the bottles I've been having. Could tell you what all the words meant and everything, and they were just like, "Oh, so in this sales call, Hazel, you can tell us a new release." And I was like, "Do you know what? If that's the reason that I was hired, I'm totally okay with that. Yeah, Get a try yeah. the drums, so I can say them in a lovely accent as well." Because so. well, I, I, I got a bottle of Torshakada. How good is that as a pronunciation? Do you know what? It's a solid attempt. Poichokaga. Ah, that wasn't far off then. It wasn't far off. <laughs> well, I, had, I had to write Buna Habit down in my notes and I struggled to spell it. <laughs> well, great, great, just for the record, Graham is dyslexic, so yeah, Buna Habit is, uh, <laughs> is a, a, it's a tough one. It's eh? a struggle for the, 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 the non dyslexic of us. There's too many H's and the N's in there as well for my liking. But no, I mean, it's, it's interesting then. So growing up on the Isle of Harris, what? You know, it's uh, Outer Hebridean Island, I believe. My only hire in geography is doing really well there. But for, for yourself, how to give people listening a little bit of context, how far away is Harris to the, to the mainland of Scotland then? So the way that I always describe it is, see, do you know where Sky is? Or listeners, if you know where Sky is, it's an hour still away from there. You go to Uig and then you get a two-hour boat then over to Harris. So when I'm going home... In the summer to see family, or when I'm going home at Christmas, it's you're usually looking at about a six-hour drive from Edinburgh, and then a two-hour boat over right. as well. So a round trip of about, like the Proclaimer song, 500 miles. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, to yeah, get wow. from Edinburgh to to my home home. And is that a pool that you? Is it a pool your head? It's usually Uig that I go to because that goes straight Good. to oh, sorry, right. Harris. But then if you go to Ullapool, that'll take you through to Lewis. And then that's an hour mm. drive then from Lewis to Harris. Because, yeah. so. I mean, even when you're on Lewis, I, I've, I've been to Harris and Lewis, even when you're at, on Lewis, to get to Harris is quite a drive. Yeah. Um, you're, you're, you, you know, it's one of these ones where you've got the kind of eight hour, seven or eight hour drive up to Alapool, the two hour ferry then across to, and you think you're nearly at Harris, but you're not. So, really? yeah. Um, quite a place to visit, though, from the pictures I've seen. The yeah, oh, it's, it's like spectacular. Oh, obviously, beautiful. my view is extremely biased, but it is. I mean, Harris is the better island as well. I'll say that. And did you, did you grow up in Tarbert or? So I grew up 10 minutes away from Tarbert. So I grew up in Yavag, down in the bays. So in the sound of Harris there. Um, to give people some context, it is that stereotypical small island lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Like in my village, you have my family across the road. It's my dad's brother. Down the road, it's his twin brother. And there's a couple of holiday homes and then two other families there as well. Wow. Yeah. And of course, one of the things on the Isle of Harris at the moment, big thing in the whiskey industry is... Uh, release of the Hirach. Again, I'm worried about my pronunciation here. It's but okay, there's no judgment. The Hirach whiskey. And of course, you know, the, the, the Isle of Harris gin's been a huge success oh, as well. Massive. But also, you know, I, I, I've been to the Isle of Harris um, distillery and I, it's a big employer in, in the island. And, you know, lots of people have come, you know, the, the, one of the stories that they told there was that 
people that, like you said, learnt English, left the island, did university, perhaps even got a job in Central Belt or down in London, when the Isle of Harris have been recruiting, these are people that have actually come back to the Isle of Harris yeah. in a way that people a generation before wouldn't have done so. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, have you ever been tempted or would that be something that would tempt you? Oh, believe me, say working in my job that I'm in just now and as soon as the distillery opened and it started, you know, growing and growing and they've got their sales team mm. now out on the mainland as well. Honestly, if I had a pound for every time my mum was like... So when are you moving home? <laughs> Look at your cousin. Because my cousin used to work out in Dubai and then she moved back home right. to the island and now she's working in the distillery. And my mum's like, well, you know, look at her. That could be you. When is it going to be you? And I'm like, I'm enjoying Edinburgh. I'm enjoying the city life just now. But, you know, never say never. But yeah. the distillery has been amazing for the island. And yeah. it's a lovely whiskey they've made. The gin's been, like you said, a unbelievable success like a you see the bottles phenomenon. everywhere you yeah, go yeah, yeah. I always feel bad when I walk into bars I'm like where are you from I'm like I'm from Harris but I'm here to sell you Hendrix so. yeah. yeah well I mean that's it <laughs> Wait, I mean it must be a tricky one because I suppose which we'll, we'll get on to part of your job is sort of jostling with other drinks companies to make yeah. sure the brands that you represent and sell are pride in place on the shelves and so that when people come in you know the, you know, you work for William Grant and Son so you're looking at Balvenie, Glenfiddich, Monkey Shoulder. You've mentioned Henrik's Gin as well, which is another. But there's, I mean, there's another couple of distilleries that I'm missing out as well, aren't there? There's, there's a few. Um, I mean, we've got like Sailor Jerry as well, yeah. Ailsa oh, Bay. Right, well. um, we've got their discarded range as well with the rum, vodka, vermouth. So it's a huge portfolio yeah. that we're working with. And I'm very lucky to be working with all those different brands as well. And I mean, with Glenfiddich and Balvenie there as well, pretty solid whiskeys that, Absolutely. that we get to work with. And even likes of the like the I iconic bottles that you first see as well like yeah. everybody always talked we were talking about it we've talked about Glenfiddich probably more than any other brand on the on the podcast already like we're just hoping that somebody sponsors us maybe one day <laughs> or like all we're asking for is a couple of free t-shirts and maybe some bottles just be nudging everyone in the meeting tomorrow I'll be like guys I was on a podcast last night I just love Glenfiddich yeah we do we really do I mean uh, Angus loves it so much there was a story of him actually putting a cigarette out in an 18 year old from 1989 <laughs> a, a Glenfiddich 18 year old just so we're clear listen to the first episode for context please <laughs> But uh, <laughs> but it's it, 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 when you, the, the green bottle, the triangular green bottle for yeah. the Glenfiddich, when you see that, even like so the shapes of the Balvenie and the way that the writing is on the labelling and stuff like that, and even when you see Hendrix, it's the, the black, the darker bottle that's up on the shelves. Exactly, the labels are always like popping out of you. I like you were saying as well, you walk into these bars, my job essentially is to look to see if they're stocked, what's missing, where's the gaps, where can yeah. we get them on menu and stuff, but it's so easy to go in and be like, okay, bang, 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 there's the bottles, I can see the the iconic labels i can see yeah. the bottle shapes so so you, you've also like you say you work you work for them um, you work for a, well tell us how you got into whiskey tell us that story for how did you get into the drinks industry how did you get into the line of work that you're in so it all happened accidentally and i wish i had this lovely pungent story being like oh this is how i fell in love with it and all that but i did hospitality management at university and for my dissertation i did about how the distillery was opening in harris and how it impacted local island communities. Mm. And that kind of sparked, I think, a little bit of an interest because I was like, why are so many people so interested in coming somewhere just to see a distillery? Like, to me, I was like, that's so strange. Like, why would you base a holiday off of that? And then I finished uni. I didn't know what to do. And I felt I was a recruiter's dream when I finished uni because they were like, we have a perfect job for you. 
you're going to sell life insurance and be like a millionaire and it's going to be amazing. <laughs> and I fell for it and I started working selling life insurance. I was like, this isn't for me. This is awful. I hate it. Yeah. And then one of the girls that I worked with said that her boyfriend worked at Deanston Distillery as a tour guide. and that They had an opening for some guys to come in over the summer. So I was like, you know what? I have bills that I have to pay now. Yeah, yeah. So I'll start doing that. And I was, one thing about me, I am stubborn. And for the first couple of weeks, I was like, I don't like whiskey. Whiskey's not my drink. I'm just here to sell this booze so I can pay my bills and then go home at night. And then we got a lot of tour groups coming in because of where Deanston is, yeah. right between Glasgow and Edinburgh. Yeah. It was heaving. You were getting about 15, 16 buses coming in every day and you right. were taking those groups around the distillery. Then after a while, I was like, Do you know what? It's actually really cool how whiskey's made and I was like maybe maybe I could get into this and then obviously I started trying all the different drams and the different releases that were coming out and then I just started absolutely loving the craft that was behind it and then I just loved the stories that people had about whiskey and just mm. how like personal it is to everyone yeah. as well and like yourselves are such a good example of it. it's such a good talking point no matter what pub you go into no matter like where you are in Scotland you can always bond with someone over a dram and then a position came up in the sales team when I was approached for it. And obviously my previous experience of sales was selling my soul and life insurance <laughs> over the phone. So I was like, oh, absolutely not. Sales isn't for me. And they were like, no, no, you're going to be selling something that people want to buy yeah. and that you actually like yourself as well. So that's that's how I got into the wow. into the industry. I mean, it's an interesting thing about you mentioned this, the connection that people have with, with whiskey and people have all over the world. I mean, Ross has talked to us about you know, we take it for granted, I think, in Scotland about how easy and accessible, look at this, we're in a pub where we've got over 700 whiskies that we can yeah. pick, right? I want a drama out of that, I want a drama out of this one. And, and Russ is talking about how there's a, a 40-year-old open bottle of Macallan in the Balmoral Hotel that costs £850 uh, for a 25ml dram. And he said he's had people paying for doubles. And on top of that, they'll pay a 10% service charge yeah. for that as well. A 20% service charge. Uh, 20%, sorry, yeah, of course. It's 20%. And I'm just being tight. You're the moral, I'm, a fight, I'm a fighter. You've got a lot of serving you. I'm just 20%. Exactly. <laughs> but, but what he's saying is, like, you don't know the circumstances. First of all, if somebody has, you know, he, he gave an example of maybe somebody who's been a whiskey fan all their life over in America, North America, over in the States, someplace, and they've retired. And their retirement is we're going to go to Scotland and we're going to do the whiskey tours. And yeah. it's a special occasion, so we're staying in, staying in a nice special hotel that has an unbelievable collection of whiskey. And you know what? This is it. I'm having the 40-year-old Macallan in this time, at this moment, to commemorate what it is. We can walk into the Balmoral, Balmoral Scotch Bar tonight and it, it will never cross our minds that we'll have a dram out of that because it's something that we've probably been exposed a little bit too much. But for that person, that individual person, we yeah. were talking about it just yesterday, Angus, about, mm. you know, we, we, we've got a sort of mutual friend that we have who owns a, a, a number of sort of 16, 18 seater uh, executive buses. Yeah. And one of his big business parts is mm -hmm. tourism. And he's saying seven days whiskey tour around Scotland. Mm -hmm. And people do that. People yeah. are set, they'll travel from mm -hmm. across the world and then they're happy. And we moan about the distance. You're talking about the distance to get back to Harris. Yeah. And you're like, oh, it's a big trip. You know, it's a, it is a big trip. And in Scotland, that is. But then there's people who have travelled all over the world, maybe been on a 20-hour flight from New Zealand to get to Scotland. The amount of layovers they've had to do and stuff like that. Four or five hours going through the scenery to get to Harris, to just to get to distillery. Yeah. To go around, see how it's made, and then try it. Isn't going to be 
a big journey for them if they've travelled all this way for it. And what yeah. I've heard from a lot of people as well, they're like, oh, but if you've seen one distillery, you've seen them all. And I'll be honest, I used to think that as well. And I'm like, oh, how can you tour around distilleries? And go to them, like, how do you not get bored? But now, being in the trade, and being so lucky that I get to see so many distilleries as well. And I've worked like within a working distillery. I'm like, mm-hmm. no two are the same. Yeah. And everyone has their own story as well. And like you were saying as well, like, there's no right or wrong time to have a dram or there's no like certain occasion in your life where you should be having it. So we could get people coming into Deanston that were having a horrible day. They'd had an argument with their partner sitting in the car, would come in, 150 quid on a bottle of whiskey and go out and then they were cheered up. They're yeah. like, oh, I'm going to have that later on tonight. That'll put so me in a better mood. Yeah, that's yeah. it. And, and, and I was saying as well on, on an earlier episode that my kind of journey into whiskey, if you want to call it that, was was a very rainy long weekend in Stonehaven that resulted in right well we can go and visit the Royal Lochnagar distillery and then that resulted in planning a holiday to Isla because we enjoyed visiting the distillery yeah. so much and it was a kind of like well okay it was a real damp squib that long weekend up in Stonehaven but you know what it was great when we got to go and visit that distillery and then I'd be really interested to go and see distilleries elsewhere and yeah. Isla, Isla's nice so let's go there so yeah and the stories behind them I mean tell mm. us tell us you've you've obviously learned the story behind the Deanston distillery you've done the tours and everything yeah. like that give us give us the highlights of what somebody who's maybe I mean Deanston uh, I I've seen a lot more of Deanston over the last three or four years and it's a it's a drama I actually really 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 enjoy yeah the type of whiskey that is how it's matured and things like that I really enjoy the flavor that comes out of it it's a lighter whiskey and things and it's quite a sweeter one that I quite enjoy yeah Tell us a little bit about the Deanston Distillery. So if anyone's listening to this that's never heard of it or never thought about drinking it, what, what, what what's the highlights of the, the distillery? So the actual distillery itself, like you could drive past it and it doesn't look like your stereotypical distillery. That's because it's now a reformed cotton mill. So okay. it was a working cotton mill back in its day and then they decided to rip out the upper floors, they put stills in there and then just started distilling their own whiskey. So the only thing that would give off that there's booze being created in there is, first of all, the smell as yeah. you drive past. And then you see all the angel share coming down yeah. the walls as well. So I know a lot of distilleries nowadays are like whitewash it so it looks pristine and it looks polished. But because of it being the cotton mill, it was a grade A listed building. So we weren't allowed oh, to really? pressure wash the walls or anything. So what you see is what you get. Yeah, is yeah. what I say when you go into Deanston. And I always think that's a really good distillery to visit if you're just getting into whiskey and you want to see like a proper working Scottish distillery yeah. when you go into it. Because it's not like polished painted walls on the inside either they still got or they still did definitely when i worked there would that be what three years ago now uh one of the few remaining still have an open top mash tun oh really still working as well so um glorious smell oh (laughs) tell you what you could not go into work hungover in there oh i bet (laughs) so so how how old is the deanston distillery then if you can remember uh, i mean how long ago are we talking that it started to it ripped out the the, the, what changed from being a cotton mill or had there been a, a you know was it a cotton mill and then they decided let's stop doing cotton and start making whiskey or was it like a a building that had been a cotton mill that they decided to use as a distillery it had been a cotton mill and then they decided to use it as a distillery now if anyone from distill is listening mm. my dates will be a bit off but I roughly I honestly think it was about 1950s the I 60s. think that, that that's what I'd have taken yeah. a stab at I'm sure it was Kind of, I mean, from yeah. my limited knowledge of that, I'm sure it was post-war. Like a relatively... It's not, so it's a newer... Yeah. It's yeah. Re- yeah. relatively yeah. new. So I, th- I I think you're right. Certainly, yeah. certainly, 
in the first couple of decades post World War Two, yeah. um, it was converted. So it's it's kind of an interesting time for a distillery to open as well. Um, yeah, you know, a lot were opening up in the kind of sixties up in Speyside and things. So yeah, I mean, it's tie in. It's a whiskey that I must admit, I, I don't know what, I don't know when or why I first tried it, but it's, it's, ever since that, I, you know, there's a standard. I think I've had the 18 in here a few times that I've really, really enjoyed. The yeah. 12 is a sort of go-to for me. There's a booze shop around the corner for me, and I know that it's like there are the... There, there's a few bottles up there, and I, I do like the sort of 12 just as a nice hoose dram as such for sitting in the sitting in the cupboard that you can have on a Sunday evening or something like that just to tie the weekend off any loose ends at the weekend. That, that's what's out. But it really is a, a distillery that has popped up on my radar over the last few years, so it's interesting to hear about it. Because I think it's only, what, an hour away from Edinburgh, if that. I was mm. always surprised by the amount of people that hadn't heard about it. Yeah, mm. yeah, mm. Mm. that's right. And I'm just thinking it's basically on your doorstep, essentially. You've got, what, Glen Kinchy, just yeah. a wee bit further down, then you've got Dean you go sort of north towards Stirling. So I was always so surprised that... yeah. Not that many people had visited so it. Is it, or... is it down as a lowland malt then? It is a lowland. Oh yeah. no! Uh, it's the most it's southern highland, highland malt. Is that right? It's that literally is a highland. on the cusp of so becoming lowland. So yeah, yeah, there you are. It is actually a highland. I, I could never remember whether. It, yeah, it's a highland one, but um, it's because of course, geographically in a kind of, you know, in a geological sense, it's nowhere in really that close to the no, highlands. No, I was going to say, but yeah. in a whiskey sense, it's in the highlands. It's yeah. a funny one. I mean, I've, I was speaking to someone last week about the discussions are, that are having about people saying Fife should now start having its own, being a recognised whiskey region with the yeah. distilleries that are there. And when you actually look at it, you know, Edinburgh in the 1800s was a, 1890s when it was the Patterson Brothers, etc. and all these guys, Edinburgh was like a high for whiskey storage uh, you had the Leith docks that were importing or, or exporting whiskey, I should say. Mm, there was mm, a lot of bonded mm. warehousing down in Leith areas and all these kind of things, but it wasn't well known for the production of whiskey, yeah. which was coming down from the highlands and then the different regions came in. Mm. But now, if you come to Edinburgh and you suddenly say, well, you've got the whiskey bars and pubs that we've talked about last week's show as well in particular. And then you can say, like, you know, you're not far away at all when you can say you're across the mm. Fife and you've got all, you know, you've got Eden Mill, mm. King's Barnes, mm. Lindor's Abbey. Yeah, um, you know, and of course, not, let's not forget Diageo's got the big production going yeah. um, at, at Cameron Bridge as well. So you've got that. And then, of course, then you've got the Glen Kinchy and now you're saying just an hour. And yeah. you're, you're at Deanston as well, and I'll be missing out other ones. Uh, apologies if anyone's listening, thinking, <laughs> shouting at the... <laughs> shouting at the <laughs> he's missed one! He's missed one! He's but I mean, it is fascinating, right? So, so you've got you've you've worked in this. You've you've gone into the sales world. You've sold your soul to the devil to start becoming a sales. I have indeed. I started from the bottom, and then just made my way into something that I now love selling yeah. and that. And it's just such a good thing to speak to people about as well. Like I know we keep coming back to that, but my favorite thing is when I bring whiskey into bars and I see the likes of like Kev and that try it. It's a new release that we've yeah. got from Balvenny. It's done in X Y Z casks, and you just see his face light up when he tries it. And he's like, right, okay yeah, I'll bring in a bottle, we'll, you know, do more of the month, we'll do this and that yeah. with it. And then just, yeah, it's great seeing it, like seeing all the volume targets and stuff come through as well, but seeing customers actually enjoy it and being out and about and hearing folk order it as well. Yeah. And then hearing them talk to their pals about it, being like, oh, I've not tried this one before. This is really class. That always puts a smile on my face. Well, I bet. I mean, it, it is an interesting thing. I've, I've sort of, uh, I remember hearing a phrase years ago um, from farming background and the guy basically said, people buy for people. Yeah. You know, and people oh, do buy, and, and when you get somebody, and you know, I don't know, I've never met anybody, not met too many people in the, the life insurance game as such, but I mean, being passionate 
and enthusiastic about life insurance must oh, be very, very difficult. It However, did not exist. Or if it did, yeah. those people don't trust them. No, exactly. Absolutely not. But then, but whiskey, the stories behind it, you've just talked about, you know, the Deanston. We're going to talk about William Grant and Sons, the history behind them. It's an easy story to get into. It's an easy thing to really buy into. And then it's not difficult at all from your point of view to actually be passionate about the brands. Yeah. And when people see that passion and you're saying, this is going to be exciting, this has been finished in this cast, this is a type of bottle we've got from here. And as you've said, when you get other people in the room, they're like, Why, that's, I'm quite, quite excited and buzzing about that. Yeah. That must be. So, I mean, getting into the William Grant Sons then, what's that like working for such a big, renowned company in the world of whiskey? Because I remember when I first started, like when I went to work in whiskey industry and I was with Distel, I was like, oh my gosh, they're a South African company. This is absolutely massive. But in our sales force, there was only two sales reps that covered right. Scotland. And then applied for the job at Grant and then started with them. And I was like, oh, this is a different beast. Like, this is a different size of business. But what I love, and I'm so proud to say that I work with Grant's as well, because they're still a family-owned business. Yeah. And the family still work in the business as well. And they still very much have their say on how they want like the products to go and how they want the business to go as well, which I think is so important because I think so many times you be caught up in, oh, like, what's the shareholders think of this? We have to consult X, Y, Z from the board. We have to make sure everything's okay. But um, being with William Grant, you meet the family a lot when you go up to the distillery and you feel like you're not just a number. Like yeah. you might be in other companies as well. You're part of the change that's happening within the business and yeah. it's almost like you have a say in it essentially as well which is quite nice but yeah that i mean it's interesting i mean even the the i've not actually traveled up that many times to dufton and all these different areas and space side it's a place i'd love to spend a lot more time but getting up there and spending mm. the time and also being the designated driver sometimes yeah but i remember driving up for the very first time because I wanted to see the Glenfiddich, and I had no idea how close Balvenie and Glenfiddich yeah. actually are to each other. They're effectively, they're in the same yeah. compound, if you could call that, because of the size of them now, with the with what happens with the storage, the bottling, or the you know, and all the production levels that they have. I mean, when you when you see that, it there's it's such an interesting thing. Uh, we talked last week about. The, I'm, I'm fascinated by warehousing. I find that area the really exciting part of whiskey. Yeah. And uh, we were sort of driving up and it was quite early. And I thought, right, there's a distiller there, but there's another wee left turn here that kind of takes you into the work, the inner workings. I'll just pretend that I've taken the wrong turning and go as far down as I can until I need to take a wee turn to come back up. So, yeah. And there's security cameras absolutely everywhere. <laughs> to probably stop idiots like me doing this. But it was just fascinating driving through that area and seeing like, right, and you're seeing this massive production area. Because yeah. it is, it has to be. When you look at the brand, Balvenie and Glenfiddich, that's going on there, that's, I mean, it's global, it's huge. It's honestly humongous and the first time I went up to the distillery was in April we had a big um, sales meeting gathering up there and they took us up to the distillery and hosted us there and again I'd done Deanston I'd seen the distillery in Harris I'd seen a couple up in like Inverness and stuff mm. as well walking into the still room of Glenfiddich honestly my jaw was on the floor because I was like how many stills do we have yeah but obviously because we're producing millions and millions of liters of whiskey mm. just to cater for the global demand but it's and again it's gonna sound biased 
one of the most stunning still rooms that I've ever seen as yeah, well. Yeah. yeah, I mean that, that's the thing. And then when, mm. when, but what's really nice about the distillery, and of course you mm. have to look at it. And I'm, I'm a big, I, I'm a big cynic sometimes when you get the marketing spiel, right? <laughs> so you go from that mass production site, but then when you do go into the Glenfiddich Distillery, and you've just got these like cozy looking thatch roof like kind of yeah. buildings, and you're like, oh, it's just, it just looks like what it was all these years ago and stuff like that, but. It is incredible when you actually look at it. when you go around the world mm. and you see, you know, these brands, Balvenie, Glenfiddich, and even like some Monkey Shoulder now, and all the, yeah. the, the sort of other associated brands with that. It's it's just it's a huge, huge, you know, it's one of the biggest in the mm. world, if not. I mean, I don't know. You might be biased again, looking for some sponsorship, guys. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest in the world, sort of thing. But but it, it it is just quite incredible and again when you go back to the family owned company side yeah. of it they've kept that authenticity which is really really something you've got to take your hat off to them oh definitely and it's not one of those but it's like okay well I'm going to work in the business because it's the family so I have a right to work here what happens is they'll go out with other businesses and gain experience and then they'll bring that back right. into the into the company which is really admirable as well so there's no it's not like a hierarchy of sorts, if you know what I mean. Like, it's not like they're coming in and being like, we're so much better than you because we have the grant name. It's yeah. like, no, we've got experience. We can actually now use this to improve wow. all these other things. We actually know how to improve this process now, now or like this marketing tool. And then they'll come in and put that into the business and just... That's quite... going down with us as well. Yeah, and, 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 yeah, yeah. From the people, like we've met Mark Thompson a couple of times, I guess, and you yeah, speak yeah. to Mark and you hear that... We've, Jodie Buckin, who we're going to try and get on the show as well, works for Monkey Shoulder. Yeah. And with Sarah Berardi, I've spoken to Sarah from Hendrix and stuff like that. And it, mm. it really does feel like there is a, like you said, a sort of wider family connection between everybody who oh, works definitely. for the company. Yeah. I mean, I would go as far, I wouldn't go as far as to say, I should say like a, a sort of culty feel, but yeah. it's the fact that like, <laughs> there is a... Close-knit. But, you're, yeah. Yeah, but you, you're not, it's like, oh, this is my job. This is the company I work for. It's like, yeah. it's us, we, it's, it's together. There, there really does seem to yeah. feel like that that element of it and you know when you look at as a family they've 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 you know grown this brand yeah from what what's the year what roughly speaking again not 1887 was when it all started 1887 Mm -hmm. yeah and they're still surviving and when you look now and you look at the you're talking about working for distill and distill and stuff like that and you're saying like you know they're a south african-owned company you look at you see like shivas brothers you're looking at diageos you're looking at all these Mm. companies that are machines and Glenfiddich is a machine yeah. in amongst them but it's independent of yeah. the big big massive companies isn't it yeah, yeah. and that's what drew me into applying for them in the first place anyway because it's one of you're like okay but is it family owned like Aye. is it really or is that just again marketing mm. jargon to get people to apply for them but then after doing my research and stuff for my interview I was like oh my gosh no this is it's yeah. amazing mm. yeah does it make your job easier working for a company that has the brands that it already has yeah yeah definitely mm. I mean yeah, they've built such amazing brands and just the story behind the company in general. Anyway, it all just like ties in so nicely together. So when you're going in and you're selling, I very rarely, I'm probably the least commercial salesperson you'll ever meet because at no point do I ever go in and be like, okay, your GP is 2% on this jam yeah. and I can raise it to 4%. I'm like, this is a family owned business. We care about you because the company cares about us. We want to sell you this story because we know that your customers are going to love it as well if they'll just give you a chance to, to talk to them about it. Well, you know, Angus, Kevin did say last week about how much support, like, grants give to the the pub trade. He yeah, said yeah. Glenfiddich yeah. itself. Yeah. You know, he was saying it whilst he had a Glenfiddich t-shirt on. 
I'm just saying, <laughs> we'd quite like a couple of t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> we'd really like those. Um. Yeah, they would they'd be quite cool, I think. Um, but, I mean, we, we're, we're whiskey fans, Angus, Yeah, right? absolutely. And we were at a whiskey tasting that Mark delivered. Yeah. I've been at a few, actually. Mm. And um, I think Mark was under a bit of pressure. And I'll talk to him about this, and then we, we, we will get him on, and I want to speak to him. And I think there was an element of, like, whiskey snobbery where it was like oh yeah. it's Glenfiddich they're a big brand I'm more interested mm-hmm. in there I would love I would much prefer to hear mm-hmm. about the smaller independent distillery or the independent bottle or I anything think, like I that I think you're right because I mean just to give some context the the, the, the kind of series of whiskey events that we were attending the the, the the event immediately before was Ben Romack which of mm. course are owned by um, Gordon McPhail Gordon McPhail so they're, 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 they're kind of set up in the late 90s they've got a bit of a kind of unique story they were set up at a time where you know they were kind of the first of that wave of independent or you know independent distilleries so they had a kind of very bespoke tale yeah, and 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 suddenly the next one was Glenfiddich, and of course everyone's seen a bottle of Glenfiddich well, twelve on the supermarket shelves. Well, so it was like, right, this I, is a contrast here. And that's but, my number one objection I get every time when I'm trying to sell this into the bar as well. It's like, why would we get that in? We can get that anywhere that you go. Yeah, and it's the same as what Mark's got a really good point, and he always brings it up in his trainings. He was like, if somebody comes up to you in a bar and says, why would I have that green bottle? I can get that back over to say that in the States. He was like, I can get that back over where I am in America. Mark makes the point. You go to Dublin, but you'll still have a pint of Guinness. Aye. No, yeah. that's, uh, yeah. you're right. You're right. Well, Mark, actually, it's quite funny because mm. um, Mark played a bit of a trick on everybody in that when we turned up at the bar <laughs> and all the bottles were lined up, he'd taken the tubes of the 12, 15, 18, fire and cane and there was people arriving, myself included, kind of like, oh, the, right. the eyes were being rolled. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, right. It's oh, he, he, like he, an he, ultimate sigh. Here we are at the Balmoral and we're getting, twel- try the 12-year-old, try the 15-year-old. But Graham, but carry on. He opens up this and he's bringing out these unmarked screw-top bottles <laughs> that he's been telling about. He says the guy, I can't remember the name of the person that he, that he gets his bottles or samples from. And he said, these have come out of the... And I, I, I spoke to him a little bit afterwards and remained in touch with him and stuff. And I sort of said, like, you know, if you were to try and sell that, it was a, it was a sort of a very bespoke and unique tasting that he did. And I said, if you were to try and sell that to somebody, what we had that night with the whiskeys, because maybe he was giving us a bit of the patter, the chat, maybe, but I'll take him at face value. This is whiskey that you'll not be able to try yeah. anywhere in the world. Some of these bottles where there's only two of these literally come out of this, these casks. And I said, if you were to try and sell that per, per, per head to sample that whiskey, where would you even start pricing that up at? And he was like, I don't know, you know. And he said, maybe 250 quid a person for the whiskey that we were tasting. Maybe 150, maybe 200, 250. He said, I don't know where you would even start because they can't put a price on that. It was the... Yeah. Um, What's the or- Orchard, Glenfiddich Orchard it was, one? It, yeah. it was the Orchard edition and it was a calf strength single cask version of that. So it'd come, oh, out, it'd come, come, out, of a, come out of a single cask um, just at calf strength. Yeah. And it, 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 but he'd put all these in the 
tubes. I was going to say, I would have paid to have seen everyone's faces coming in and oh, seeing that. Oh, it was that. remarkable. <laughs> just I mean, Mark there like, I know what's going to happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I think, and do you know something? I think, to be fair to them, and I'll say that there were some people that I think didn't turn up to the, is a is a club sort of thing. I think people were like, oh, it's Glenfiddich. I, I know all about Glenfiddich. Yeah. I, I know the story. I know the drums. And uh, it's been one of the best ways of me being smug to these people that didn't bother turning up being like, you missed probably it was it's yeah, up there it's the best uh, yeah. tasting I've ever had yeah, it was yeah. the best was tasting I've ever had yeah. and, and the, the, it was mind blowing he was tell, talking about um, and I don't know how many of these you'd, you'd be able to sell but um, the, 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 again the Grant family being able to be so open with experimenting and stuff like that and he, he mm. said about uh, a matured cask ca, cask matured in Tabasco sauce yeah oh yeah and there was another a fish was a it fish cask as well I think yeah. they experimented with yeah. but like you were saying we're so lucky we're in such a fortunate position that we have so much we're able to produce so much liquid that we can experiment with as well mm. and like that's how they brought out the experimental range like the Fire and Cane Project yeah. IPA and like the Orchard one that you were saying there as well yeah, I mean it's 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 remarkable, right? So it's not just Glenfiddich as well, though. There's Balvenie too. Balvenie, yeah. yeah, yeah, and then that's what we've been on tonight. Is one of the things was I don't think it's that particular drama. I'll need to go back and see which one it was mm-hmm. we've had. Um, it was a Balvenie ten. Um, I'm just trying to work out. It wasn't it wasn't the standard Balvenie ten it was, uh, called the Founders Edition, I think, or or uh, something like that. Words to that effect. Well, you've probably put Hazel. You can help us out here. You've, put, <laughs> you've probably sold it to Kevin. Honestly, see the amount of times that Kev will come back down from the distillery, or he'll come back from like spending time with Mark and produce his bottle, and I'm like, how have you got that? I have never seen that, and I'm meant to be selling it. And he's like, oh, I'll put it on the bar so you can still get your wins. And I'm like, Kev, this is why we're best friends. Yeah, I mean, from your point of view, then going in so. What are the challenges that are involved? You're going into bars, hotels, golf clubs, these kind of places. So do you just have a car with a boot full of sample bottles and everything like that? Yeah, so we get given like a samples allocation, usually of the core range, like your 12, your 15, your 18. You've got your mm. Experimental, you've got Balberry, Doublewood, you've got the Caribbean cask, of course. You've got the French oak and stuff as well. And it's just trying to... The most common thing you get, like I touched on earlier, was... Oh, but this is really mainstream. Yeah. Everyone has it. Everyone's heard of it. We're only wanting to work with boutique stuff now. Yeah. That's... And my argument always is, yeah, it might be mainstream to you, but everyone think... knows that name. Yeah. And if they come into a bar, they're going to name it. Yeah. 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 I mean, we were at the Edinburgh Whiskey Festival a couple of weeks ago, Angus. Yeah, we were, yeah. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of whiskeys there. Don't get us wrong we would never complain about being given access to so many whiskeys yeah. so much. The head was pounding on the Sunday. <laughs> um, but it was almost like it became quite overwhelming where I think we actually agreed on the night was a distiller, find a distillery. We ended up finding, I think it was Eden Mill. Hmm. And uh, we just said, just base ourselves here for the next wee bit. Yeah. Because we know what we're getting here. And the thing is, you were, there were so many independent bottlers. There were so many people there, and they're saying like, "This is that." And they, they, each independent bottler and each stall had at least four bottles that you could try and pick from. Yeah. And again, the stage where you're like, I don't know where to start with this. So actually, what sometimes you're right. It, it, you come into here, and we kind of said to Kevin as well last week, is you can come into this pub and you can look at that shelf. And you go, where do you start? Yeah. So your eyes are not. You know, sometimes I just know. There's a Deanston. 
there's a Glenn Ferrick, there's yeah. a Balvenie, there's a Ben Romack, mm-hmm. there's, and you know, they, they stand out straight away, so you're, mm-hmm. your eyes are natural, so you're actually right, you know, some people, they know what they're wanting. Mm. And the same thing as well, like, with Ross that you were saying that you have on the podcast quite often as well, he himself and Cameron in the Balmoral, I think, are two of the best people that when you go in there, it can be a really intimidating space, yeah. it's a Balmoral. I like wearing Converse when I'm working. So sometimes when I go in there, I'm like, oh gosh, I, I don't belong here. I look far too rough and ready for this. But you'll go in for an after work jam, whether you're with Mark, whether you're with you know your boss, whoever, and they'll sit you down and be like, okay, let's take you off brand. Have you tried this, this yeah. and this? It's similar to this. Their whiskey knowledge is insane. And all the jams and stuff that they're able to recommend you. But don't get me wrong. I know for a fact that like, they still love the core range stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think the amount of times that Ross has had to face it when people are like, oh, you must love like the most expensive jams because of your experience at the bar model. And he's like, nah. Yeah. Core, I mean, it's, it's interesting. We, there's, a, there's a couple of guys we, we're going to get on soon that have their sort of own independent whiskey bottlers and stuff like that. And one of the guys who we were speaking to, he was, he's talked about that, about a core range is very, very important to every brand. Yeah. Now, there are bottles of Balvenie, Glenfiddich, any kind of whiskey that you could spend a lot of money on. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of the Balvenie one that's about £350 a bottle. The Balvenie Rose. Uh, the, is it 21 Red Rose? Red Rose, yeah. 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 Lovely, lovely dram. Right. But it's a lot of money to spend on yeah. that. And there are people out there who will go, I'm only buying the expensive stuff because I'm not going to bother with the stuff you can get out of the supermarkets yeah. or stuff like that. But it's just like what I mentioned earlier on is, Having a bottle of Deanston 12 in the house is very comforting for yeah. me, <laughs> where I can go. Because you know whether you've had a bad day, a great day, a horrendous day, an okay day, you're going to have a jam waiting yeah. for you when you get home. That's it, that's it. And sometimes then when you know the core brand is then the entry level into the next stages of what that brand can offer you. Yeah. So you might say, oh, I do like a Glenfiddich 15, which is actually one of my favourite favorite whiskies. But at the same time, if I see on the shelf there's a different type of Glenfiddich, I might go, oh, I've never tried that. Or the same with Balvenie, I might go, I've never tried that. Or, you know, another another branded whiskey as well. We don't always have to talk about, <laughs> you know, we're not, we aren't sponsored yet. But, <laughs> but, but I mean, do you feel pressure then, Hazel, when you're out for a drink and you talked about like Ross and Cam saying, let's get you off brand, come on. Yeah. You know, put the put the bottles away. Let's get Let's get you on some other stuff. Do you feel pressurised there or do you feel, you know, under a little bit of pressure where if you go out for a drink, you've got to order a brand that you're associated with? It's like when I go out with my friends and you just feel like their eyes in the back of your neck when they're at the bar being like, she's looking at the back bar. Oh my gosh, she's doing a survey. She's checking what brands they have in. Oh, she's not actually ordered on brand. Huh, that's really weird. But I try to go off brand because I'm a creature of habit when I find whiskey that I like I stick to it and I'm like no but I like it it's my yeah. favourite one why Why would I go elsewhere but um, I'm getting a lot better at experimenting and going for different jams and stuff I've not quite made it on to peated malt uh, yet yeah, yeah. I still like you know like your Deansons your light your sweeter jams yeah. shall we say but um, yeah some sometimes there is pressure when you're out and about especially when you're going to see customers as well but it's after work Right. And they're always like, okay, so Hendrix and Tonic. And I'm like, no, I just really want a pint. <laughs> I'm really yeah, sorry, yeah. but I just want a pint of Guinness. But... Yeah. Aye, that's interesting. No, I mean, it's, it's, there's so much out there. Yeah. And the one thing is I've found from speaking to quite a few people in the industry and, and building up to this podcast, and like, whiskey industry is not cutthroat. It might be in the sales industry. I don't know the sales where, but it, we were talking about this before, Angus. It's like, whiskey's been around for so long. We've been making it for so long. Yeah. 
you can't have any hidden secrets anymore. No. So there's not like a case of Glenfiddich, Balvenie and Grants are building big fences and walls around their distilleries. They go, we can't tell anybody what we're doing here yeah. because we all know what you're doing. Everybody <laughs> knows. Because you're doing the exact, especially when you go to Speyside. Yeah. You could be in a, this, a tiny town, a tiny little town like Aberlour. Mm-hmm. And you could look at it and you go, well, half a mile up the road, there's another, there's Glen Allocator just there. Yeah. Yeah. And you're not telling me that they've been built, what, doing what they do here, not having a scooby. Exactly. What the guys you're not there telling me they've all got separate malt lorries and everything going up, being like, oh my gosh, don't tell them. Yeah. We were up the road today, they can't know that we were at that facility. But that's what I love about this industry as well. It's so friendly. Yeah. Like, I bump into other reps all the time when I'm out and about during the day, and it's that classic being like, oh, what did you sell yeah, in? I'm yeah. going in after you. They're letting their tires down when yeah. you get out. They're going back in and be like, Kev, what did they promise you? Because I promise I could do better. But yeah. no, it's like some of my closest friends that I've made in this industry are other reps for yeah. other companies. I mean, when you think about sales and you think about, you you know, as I say, going back to your, your time as selling life insurance and stuff like that. I mean, it is, sales is always seen as cutthroat. It's always yeah. seen as that. There will be targets that you've got to hit. There will be sort of expectations that you've got to get certain amount of products in there. I mean, do you, do you get excited with that when you know there's a new product launch coming out and you're like, I can't wait to get, do you, are you priming people like Kev, you've, contacting bar saying wait till you see what we've got coming out in the next yeah. this month or yeah. something like that oh definitely we've always got the things as well like they're always experimenting with Balvenie with Glenfiddich and when there's new things coming out I do quite like to sort of tease them and be like oh there's going to be something new on your back bar yeah. I know you're going to love it so and because we're always kept in the loop with all that kind of stuff as well like it's not like it's just put on you all of a sudden and then the team are like okay well this is a new product you have to go sell it now bye yeah mm-hmm. it's like no we've got samples for you this is one of the new things we're going to launch it on this date, like for example, when Glenfiddich launched their um, Yosakura, we yeah. did a huge launch dinner down at the Botanics. We took the likes of Kev and, you know, we've got like Steve from the Abbey and that to come mm. down to the dinner as well. And then it was just nice because I think like Kev was saying, we care about the industry. Yeah. We care about everyone that's been, you know, hospitality was absolutely scudded by COVID yeah. and now it's cost of living and now mm. they just can't catch a break. So we want to give back to them as much as we possibly can. So we had that massive launch dinner and it wasn't just or, you know, try the Yoza Cura. By the way, this is how much it is, so we expect it in your bar tomorrow. Yeah. We know not everyone is going to have the ability to, I can't even remember off the top of my head how much it is. I think it's like a two, like, grand bottle or something, shall right. we say. Not everyone's going to be able to afford to put that on their back bar, but we just want to say thank you so much for stocking all of our, you know, for yeah. supporting us, for stocking our malt. So as a reward, come enjoy this dinner. You're going to have pear jams while your courses. Then at the end, you're going to get to try this new release yeah. that's but coming out. I think we'll get an invite to one of them, I guess. I'll play our cards, right? <laughs> but I, th- I, th- I think, what you know, uh, just to kind of pivot on that point a wee bit, the, the, you know, the, from <laughs> one little story I remember, I, I went and visited the um, distillery up at Bal Blair, Dornach Way. Yeah. And it's a story of collaboration within the industry, but also kind of friendly rivalry because what had happened was... They, uh, uh, the distillery at uh, Bal Blair and also Glenmorangie had, uh, and I can't get it exactly right, but they would, they'd both done something by putting some of their waste product within the Dornock Firth, which had helped the uh, population of oysters or mussels. Oh, right. yeah, yeah. And this was a news story on BBC Breakfast. As we walked in, this was on the TV, and the rep from Glenmorangie was on talking about it, and the kind of three people in the reception area of the... Um, yeah, Bal Blair are going, all right, well, we both did that, but we know who's going to get the credit. <laughs> 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 I 
I suppose, yeah. I mean, when you when you see the bigger brands, you're talking about like the Balvenie, uh, the, the Glenfiddich Grants are a big, big brand. So there, there are smaller distilleries within the areas and stuff like that that probably feel like we're a little bit the, you know, everyone's come to us to get the Glenfiddich tour, but then they're after the Glenfiddich tour and then it's like, oh, but there's a little distillery just down there. Let's pop in and have a look there. But I think, it, uh, as I say, and as you said, Hazel, it's like the friendliness within the industry. Yeah, mm. there's definitely like no like snobbery within it either. And if... If you're going to come into this industry and you're going to look down on everyone else and be like, oh my gosh, your brands aren't as good as ours, you're not, yeah. you're not cut out for the industry and you should, you should be the one selling life insurance. Because, <laughs> oh, honestly, the nights out and stuff that you have as well, with, there's nothing better than when you're sat with a bunch of your pals, we all work for different companies and stuff, we're all exchanging stories about the different drams that we're drinking, oh, what are you guys bringing out? Oh, we saw that you guys did that launch, that's so cool. Oh, how are you finding it at the moment? It's not, you're never, I mean, don't get me wrong, you're always comparing information with one another and seeing about like new bars opening and where the opportunities are and stuff. But it's never, yeah, it's not a, don't get me wrong, it could be cutthroat with targets, but it's not like a, it's not like the apprentice when you're all out to get one yeah, another. Yeah, again, it's getting, getting fired. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it, it's, the, the, the interesting thing for me is um, when, you're, when you're looking at the, the industry as a whole and you're seeing like the the challenges that have happened before you mentioned about supporting the pubs and stuff like that do you think the the increase in tax for the whiskey industry on the on the whiskey is going to have an impact i mean we're seeing right now you know pubs and trade in, in britain is struggling massively yeah and have you noticed a difference in like the amount of whiskey that's actually being taken by bars because are people not going out anymore or anything like that or is it still keeping a steady pace to where we were in maybe early 2020, late 2019. I'm definitely seeing people kind of like rationalising their backbone a little bit more. What mm. I've noticed at Million is gin as right. opposed to whiskey. I think with whiskey what you're seeing is it's just going up in price by the jam and that's like we're saying it's of no fault to the bar owners, the landlords, anything like that. It's just because like you're saying tax is going up, everything's going yeah. up at the minute. So... I think what a few of like the guys that I've been speaking to when I've been out and about in trades is saying that people used to come out maybe four or five times a week, have a couple of jams and then go home. But what they're finding now is they might go out once a week, have a couple of really nice jams, yeah. spend that little bit more on it and then go home after that. Right. So I think it'll be interesting to see what Christmas is like yeah. this year, yeah. just to see if the bars are still going to be as busy, what kind of what Edinburgh is going to be like as yeah. well. Because a lot of people in city centre are saying, you know, the hotels and everything do all their party nights and they're saying they've not really got many bookings yet. They might really? come in last minute. Yeah, yeah. You never know. But um, either saying there's definitely kind of a, a wee bit of uncertainty, shall we say. Well, I mean, that, uh, yeah, because uh, you'll be across it. You'll be seeing all the different pubs and clubs yeah. in, in Edinburgh. So you'll get a gauge of if people, if everyone's saying we're stowed out, we're packed, we, we can't yeah. take any more room, then you'll say, well, every, so when you do come across somebody that goes, well, we're, we're, we're a bit slow to th- this year. You'll be able to say, well, maybe not to them, but you'll be thinking to yourself, oh, everyone else I've spoken to is busy, so it's probably, it's not, yeah. <laughs> it's not the industry or And trade, then when you flip it a little bit as well, like sometimes you will be speaking to people and they'll be saying, oh, don't know what to do, really disheartened, like it's really quiet at the minute. And I'll be like, oh, I've been speaking to others today that have said that and you just see the relief on their face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you flip it like that as well, it's like, it's not, every, like, lights of Kev here works tirelessly mm-hmm. all the time to provide like the best malt selection that you can possibly have. Like, Everyone's being affected by. Well, I mean, you, I, I, I mean, we, we, Kev gave us a real insight into his sort of business model with the with the whiskey and how it's like the whiskey was a. Kevin wasn't a, a whiskey fan, 
when he first started this pub. You know, that's what, yeah. that's the hard, well, not the hard Which always side. blows my mind as yeah, well. Yeah, it's madness, yeah. madness. I mean, the fact that he, he started his journey into the whiskey, like, the lockdown 2020, it was like, yeah, yeah. you know, he's it's, it's in a relatively new position, but yet you wouldn't think we're in this pub with the legacy that is already built up and the, yeah. the reputation it has of being a whiskey pub. But he, it was a business decision. Yeah. You know, and it was a, a creative business decision in the sense that so, someone thinking outside the box. We get beer drinkers, yeah. we get football traffic, we get rugby traffic. How do we attract a different audience? And, and basically, yeah. like, and he said, like, we, he actually said to us, we're mm. the profit for him because we're the guys that are coming in and spending money on the whiskey, yeah. which is why he doesn't have to overprice, like, put his prices up massively on the whiskey. Yeah. And even that, when you're starting to look at, uh, you know, value for money, he was talking about remaining with a 35 mil quarter, quarter yeah. deals and stuff like that. So oh, that, legend for doing that Yeah, well. I know, and it oh. suddenly makes it, it does make you feel like you actually yeah. are getting bang for your buck and stuff like that as well. Mm. It's really, really important for that. But it, are you seeing or are you, do you feel as a, you know, you're a sales rep for the, for the company, Grants, William Grants and Sons, but at the same time, if the bar isn't selling your whiskey, they're not buying it from you. Yeah. So do you feel that you've almost got to almost be a salesperson for each individual bar to almost tell them, why don't you try doing this way or why don't you try doing that way? Or so-and-so, so-and-so did a really interesting thing where they did this. And oh, 100%. It worked like this. Because the amount of people as well that'll be like, oh, why would we buy more of it? We've got that bottle there and it's got dust in it. And I'm like, okay, well, what have you done to try and like increase the sales of it? And they're like, oh, well, what could we do? And I was like, oh, Okay, let's have a little brainstorming session. We can bring Mark in to do a tasting. We can do yeah. uh, ticket at dinner. So you're getting money in your till and then you're getting through that bottle and stuff as well. So I'm in a really lucky situation in that being in Edinburgh, I had the brand ambassadors in Edinburgh with yeah. me as well. So you've got Mark, you've got Jodie, you've got Sarah, like you said as well. We've got Callum as well from Discarded. He's over in Glasgow. So I've got them all sort of on my doorstep. Yeah. And then even little things like myself and Mark will have a night in trade and we'll go out to the like so to the diggers to the abbey to bow bar as well just to almost show support and be like we're not just here for work we want to enjoy a yeah, jam enjoy we want it. to get you guys behind the bar a jam but we're just here if you need anything just let us know we're Easy. not here to hard sell into you at the minute just just here to show support and you stick that on the company credit card yeah. absolutely yes <laughs> <laughs> Monday to Thursday it goes on there on the weekends Apple Pay so it's fine absolutely <laughs> I mean one, one of the last things as well is it's interesting that we've not really covered on this podcast very much but I've spoken about it before with people like Mark and Jodie in particular mm. um, is uh, the perception the, the challenging perceptions of whiskey we've talked so much because of Ross being in this podcast that we go with Ross and Cam at the Balmoral in Scotch, right? And you're at a five-star luxury hotel. You're in a very fancy plush place. You've mentioned about wearing Converse. I think there was one night where I think um, Cameron oh. did look us up and down when we arrived. Slightly worse <laughs> for wear. <laughs> with a pair but, of rugby but, but, shorts on and a, and a Mac. Like uh, just a, yeah, oh, we did a day of it, I it, guess. It, it, was a, it was a day where visiting Scotch wasn't our necessary objective. It just so happened that we were there and we Aye. decided that that's exactly where we wanted we, to go. We bounced in at about quarter to nine on a Saturday night. I still had, a, like I say, a pair of shorts on and I had a light, like, uh, kind of trespass jacket on, like Mac, that was all it was. And we kind of like, hey, you right, lads? <laughs> they looked at us as if to say, oh my God, what are they doing here? <laughs> but they kept up their, their sort of tradition of not being uh, pretentious or anything like that. I went, ah, you 
come, sit down there, keep your voices down, and don't talk to anybody. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Behave yourself in the naughty corner. Yeah, we'll was, get you some jazz. That was basically <laughs> what it was like. But yeah, but but then, like I say, you can go to that place, and then you can sit in diggers. Now, without diggers, isn't sawdust on the floor and spittoons or anything. Yeah. But it is a traditional Edinburgh pub. We talked about it last week. My way of being able, and this might, you might be able to back this up. The way that I know it's a traditional Edinburgh boozer is red upholstery. Right. Yes. Yeah. If you go in a place and there's red upholstery, you go, this is a traditional Edinburgh. It's a good place. I want to get a good pint. I want to get a good jam. Yes. I'm home. Exactly. <laughs> but I mean, that's the thing is that you can go into both of these places in Edinburgh and there's everywhere in between. Yeah. Right. Everywhere in between. And you can get a different experience with, with, with drinking whiskey and stuff like that. But for you, you'll see it when you go into some places and like, well, we're very particular about our clientele here. So yeah. we want to have only this kind of bottle up here. Do you think that's a challenge that you've got to overcome quite a lot of time when you're going in saying, well, why wouldn't you just take this instead of taking that? Because sometimes folk just want... I think it's what it, there'll be some places that you'll go into and they'll only have like the really expensive high-end stuff and they'll be like, mm. we're not selling it. And I'm like, there's nothing wrong with getting in the cheaper mm. bottles. I was like, why don't we start with these and see how you get on? Mm. And I was like, take those off the shelf for the minute. Sell these first and then we can start, you know, then you can start doing all your upsells and things like that. But yeah, there are some, there's still... I think like you were saying, a certain perception about whiskey, how you have to have it by a fireplace. It has to only be in like the whiskey snug section yes. of the restaurant or bar yeah. or whatever it is. And I'm like, well, you can have it on your normal stuff along with your cocktail menu and that as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the thing as well, like with monkey shoulders, so many people are now putting that into cocktails because that's the slogan. It's made for mixing. Like yeah. put your ginger ale in it, put your coke in it, make it into an old fashioned, do your espresso martinis with it. Mm, We're always yeah. like, play around with it, do whatever you want to enjoy it. It doesn't have to be a neat jam that you have by the fire in mm. your tweed blazer yeah. with pipes on in the background. Well, that, that, that said, in a place like this, I suspect most of the whiskey that they sell will be either neat or well, a little bit of water, a little bit of icing, but then yeah. I don't know if you've sold to a place like, say, the Wildcat, which is maybe a more, you know, it's a cocktail bar, and they've got high-end whiskey in there, but they will put it in the cocktails. Yeah. Um, and is that, you know, present a challenge as well? You've got to put two different faces on when you're selling to a place like this. Or a place I think, like, like you've hit the nail on the head there as well. Like, people now, I feel, are a wee bit more open to playing with whiskey and to playing with single malt as yeah. well. Because the amount of times you're like, nah, nah, we'll just do cocktails with blends, not putting single malt in that. Mm. And I'm like, there's nothing wrong with doing that. Yeah. I think as well, when um, I was at Deanston, there was a guy that came in, he bought a bottle of the 40-year-old, and he was like, are you going to cry if I come here and tell you that I'm literally going to mix that with Coca-Cola tonight and enjoy it outside in the fire of my Airbnb? And I was like, do you know what? You've just spent a thousand pounds to put that in the till. You do whatever do you want, want, my huh? darling. <laughs> You're up here in Scotland. Like you were saying as well, you've travelled, what, eight hours on a plane to come over yeah. here. Mm. You had in your head we're going to do this. You've got your private tour guide taking you round all of the central belt. You put your Coca-Cola in that yeah. if you want to yeah. and don't let anyone judge you for it. I mean, there is a lot of that, isn't there? And oh, when you're yeah. going into pubs and stuff like that, there will be. I mean, that, that is what a lot of people have said is that whiskey mm. is to be enjoyed wherever way you like it. Yes. But then you also get people in some of the. I'm, I'm a member of, um, you know, quite a number of sort of whiskey Facebook groups and stuff like that, just because it's good to sort of keep an eye in on what's going on and things like that. But someone will post a picture on a Friday night of a cigar and a Balvenie. Yeah. You know, a 21 year old Balvenie, and they'll put, there'll be ice in it. And then there'll be someone in the comments like, 
ace question mark question mark exclamation mark oh, why I would you know. do something like that and then, then you're ruining the jam shut up <laughs> no, no, no. and then it just goes on and on and on all the way down how it, much water should I yeah. put in none water should not be drunk with whiskey it, it, it just this. reminds me so much of the conversation of people that are very particular about steak and will say you cannot have steak it is wrong to have it this way it's wrong to have it that oh way gosh, it's, yeah. it's the same thing it's the same it argument it's, it is and yeah. I think that's where sometimes people get yeah. put off quite a lot is the fact that they'll feel and it's interesting that you're saying you know like that, that's what you look at the brands and I've spoken to Mark Thompson about this before and, and we spoke about it you, you look at Mark Thompson and you look at Jodie Buchan who both work for the same company William Grandsons yeah. and you say there is two complete polar opposite people that you would expect to be selling you whiskey. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, Mark is a very polished, smart looking guy. And Jody's not that he's unpolished, but he's got, <laughs> you know, he's got a sort of ZZ top type beard. He's, yeah. he's a redheaded guy. And he's, he's always a bit in more, shorts. Always in shorts, <laughs> a bit more punky ish and yeah. stuff like that. But does it, is that a difficult thing? A challenge for you because as Angus has sort of said there's different hats that you've got to wear at different times when you're saying like well this is a this is a Glenfiddich and this is a, the sort of brand image that Glenfiddich have this will suit the profile of your pub and your or your club or your your area your bar whereas then it's like well this is a bit more funkier and you can have a bit of fun with this and stuff like that is that is that difficult or is it easy because you've got such a contrast I think it's because we have such a diverse range of products that we deal with it's easy to be like okay so you don't want to work with this here's something else Aye, that you can work with else. instead. So, yeah, we're really fortunate in the position that we're in at William Grant & Sons just to have the products that we do, and that definitely makes the job that little bit easier as well. But I'll tell you what about perceptions. It might be 2023, but see the amount of times I'm asked, oh, my gosh, do you actually drink the whiskey, my darling? Oh, I'm really? Like, oh, oh, well, come on. <laughs> so, I mean, that is now, like, we're, I mean without getting too heavy and things like that, but it's an important issue that has to be raised. You're a female working in what I would imagine is a predominantly male environment. Yeah. The perception is that it's the old boys and the, yeah. the men that drink the whiskey and the women will enjoy a little martini in the corner or something like that. Yeah. That's not my perception, I should say, <laughs> just for the record. <laughs> but it must be very difficult yeah. for you. And it, has that been a challenge you've seen in the industry? Oh, definitely. Like Right from when I started like as a tour guide at Deansden up until like even... Now, like even a couple of weeks ago, people were saying it, being like, "Oh, like, do you actually drink it though?" Yeah. Aye, but do you? Oh, so your boyfriend that got you into this role? Oh, oh your dad must be so happy in this role because you must just bring all the booze home to him. And I'm like, it's guys, it's 2023. Come on. And is there a lot of work going in in the our whiskey brands and whiskey companies looking at trying to break through that perception and trying to make that more apparent to people so that there isn't that misogyny or there isn't that sort of sexism and things like that within the industry oh definitely you've got the likes of becky paskin that's made up her like um she's come up with her whiskey foundation to support women in whiskey mm. so whether they work as reps whether they work as master blenders distillers whatever and there's definitely a in edinburgh as well there's a strong community of female workers that are in this trade all looking out for one another and again fortunate to be in a company that flies that flag as well and they're like nah as soon as a customer as soon as anyone says that to you you don't have to deal with them yeah, yeah like don't think that you have to go in and sell just because it's on your list remove them from the list if they're being disrespectful to you so yeah, it's fair. good to have that backing as well it just gives you that yeah that bit of confidence as well to know that the company's behind you and well that's a little army behind you as well yeah i mean as you've as you've mentioned you know we are in a different era now and yeah. things like that i mean there were i think uh 
Angus, we spoke about it years ago. I think you talked about when your dad was growing up in Edinburgh and stuff like that. He said there were pubs where women just didn't go in. No, and uh, I don't think they were pubs that you would probably find your hard and whiskey drinkers that would be sitting there yeah, after a day's I, work I, and yeah. stuff like that. Whereas, like, the, I, I, and you're right. I mean, my dad specifically to go a bit more into it. It was specifically 19, early 1980s on Morrison Street, which was back in those days. It was pub, 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 yeah. uh, and a woman. My dad, his friend, and their two—you know, my my mum and this other friend—going go, to a pub with your partner was you were a curiosity. Yeah, um, it just was not done. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, uh, like you say, thankfully things have moved on from from those points. Um, but it it is interesting that there is the perceptions of what a whiskey drinker looks like. Oh yeah, and who a whiskey drinker is. Yeah, and how now it's like the the the. You've got a job where you've got to say yeah, you, this whiskey doesn't just get sold to the old boy that likes to sit in the corner and have a an eighty shilling. It yeah. can be sold to a young guy that comes in. We were talking about last week the first time we ordered had the courage to order a whiskey at a bar because you felt like I'm too young to be doing this. It feels like I'm trying to be somebody that I'm I'm not yeah. or anything like that. Ross was talking about walking into the Balmoral cockies and as an eighteen year old and being like, "Oh, a whiskey, please," sort of thing. And we were the same. I can remember oh, feeling I, uneasy. I, 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 I remember you. Taking the piss slightly of a friend in the Wraith, Wraith suite, and uh, he ordered a gin and tonic, and you were like, "What are you ordering that for?" <laughs> <laughs> and you're about it was when we were about seventeen or eighteen, and we, it was it I was can't like, remember that happening. Uh, <laughs> I remember it happening. Doesn't sound like me. <laughs> it doesn't sound like you now, but I can assure you, it happened. No, I think I think you're right. I think when you're when you're a youngster and you're trying to. You know, particularly if you're an underager as well, which yeah, we, were, we, were, we, we, were, we were maybe skirting the underage. <laughs> That's why I said we were 17 or 18. Uh, uh, Gin um, is not first on the uh, menu yeah. for <laughs> a lot of underage drinkers in a bar back in it. So and, it was like, a grown-up palate that you had. I know, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And this was this was before it was cool to order a gin and tonic too, uh, slightly. This it was, was Bombay Sapphire. <laughs> Bombay Sapphire? No, it was, go, it was Gordon. It was Gordon. No, that's how you wrote Gordon. In case they weren't a sponsor. They actually owned it, they not. Yeah, so. Anyway, it was uh, Gordon's and Scooshy Tonic. Aye, there you go. But, Scooshy Tonic. <laughs> so... Uh, we'll move on from that. I, don't, I can't remember that happening. I'll edit that. It doesn't bit out. sound like me. It doesn't sound like me. I'll cut that bit out. But anyway, <laughs> it's, a, it's a sort of tr- tradition on the uh, on the podcast. The what three drams feature that we have. It's the only feature that we really have. It's the only bit of pre-planning that we do uh, for our guests. So what three drams we ask our guests who are coming on to talk us through three different drams for whatever reason that they've picked them and why they've picked them and if there's a wee story. So give us your what three drams, please. I want to start here. It's Rogue. And it's not on, um, it's not in our company portfolio. Famous Grouse. Oh, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a, been featured a few times. This is the fourth time. This is the third time it's been mentioned. There we go. Famous Grouse. The old Grouse is back. He's back. It's because it was always in my house when I was growing yeah. up. And that's my first thing when I was like, okay, that's whiskey. This yeah. is, this yeah. is Scottish whiskey. My dad had it. My Grandpa had it, all my uncles used to have it. Every time folk were coming down for Christmas, New Year, birthdays, everyone got a dram. I can't just say island drams, lethal. My dad does not know what a measure is. You just get half a tumbler of whiskey, and if you're not going to have it all, you're not leaving the couch until (laughs) it's all done. uh, Really? uh, It's a heavy hand. (laughs) I mean, I don't know if you grew up with television, but I can remember the... uh... (laughs) (laughs) 
hamster wheel went from the back. Yeah. I, can, I can remember now that it's, it's been mentioned so many times. I think we should probably bring it up as if if uh, famous Krause is ever mentioned again on the podcast, we should burst into the do 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 do. Like I said, if they want to sponsor us, I was going to say, but I think you're right because I mean, I mentioned famous Krause as one of my three jams, and I think you're right at that. Certainly, when I started, became of age to drink alcohol. My perception was whiskey was the famous grouse, and yeah. that single malt stuff was just a small, little, tiny bit. And you know, to you know, you go into any supermarket, and that is the, yeah. the image you'll be presented with. You'll have a shelf of famous grouse, and then a shelf yeah. of single malt. Well, I mean, it's, um, it was even like back yeah. then. I mean, and, when and, and when we were growing up, I guess. I mean, yeah, yeah, uh, I've. I've been the perfect gentleman and not asked your age, Hazel. But uh, but I can remember, you know, the adverts there. We were uh, that tune. Yeah. Here we oh, are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've not heard that tune on the televisions mm. for years and years and years. But that was the iconic tune with the famous grouse. There was always a little grouse that was walking about or anything like that on the screen. Yeah. But also, you know, their marketing, their strategy, they were everywhere. The famous yeah. grouse were the Scotland yeah. rugby sponsor. Well, yeah. Still yeah. now, like you see the trams going up and down yeah. on. Um, in town and you see the famous grouse on it from all the Murrayfield sponsorship and stuff yeah. and it always just brings me right back to just being at home it's almost like a home comfort when you see it yeah. and you're like oh that's it, it. Yeah. and even still now there's always still a bottle of famous grouse in the mm. house I mean mm. along with whatever brand I'm working for as well <laughs> does largely fill up the drinks cabinet but <laughs> but I mean that but it goes without saying then that that is the, the, the third week in a row the third episode in a row where it's been mentioned. Damn it, I was going to be like, I'm throwing such a curveball. Oh, they're not going to think this. And I'm like, yeah. oh. Well, we're, we've got our own whiskey. I'm a sheep. We've got our own whiskey podcast and Angus was, was grouse and mine was bells. So, <laughs> so it tells you a story there. Uh, yes, I mean, I think you're, you've hit the nail on the head is for anyone growing up when you see it in the house. You, yeah. And then, as you've mentioned, the drams that are getting poured, the island drams, they sound quite nice. Yeah. I'd fancy a few of them. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, my boyfriend met my mum and dad for the first time a couple of weeks ago and they brought out a bottle of the Heroch and my dad poured jams for him. And then there was one point my dad left the room and my boyfriend was like, right, Hazel, number one rule, when you meet your girlfriend's dad, you can't let him out drink you. But Jesus Christ, I do not stand a chance. That is half a bottle in that glass. And I was like, good luck. Uh, See you in the morning. I'll leave you to uh, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We don't have any roundabouts after the OS. Exactly. Just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mind the sheep and the cows and everything when you go home and you'll be grand. That's it. Please drink responsibly. <laughs> don't drink and drive. Uh, anyway, right. So that's famous grouse number one. Famous grouse number one. Dean's day, 19 year old muscat finish Ooh. for number two. Ooh. So it was one of the first kind of cast strength ones that they brought into the distillery when I was working there to sell in the shop so they always do them, they always experiment with loads of different cast finishings but this was one that arrived I want to say when I was maybe six months into working at Deanston and it was the first whiskey, cast strength whiskey that I could have with no water and really? enjoy Yeah. yeah. Uh, now Muscat is that, that, remind me what that Muscat, is Muscat, like a dessert wine It's like a dessert, so, so these are presumably are very sweet Very sweet, yeah. they're almost like quite syrupy in yeah. a way as well really really nice two years finished in a muscat cast and then yeah. ex-bourbon before that as well so fifth, I want to say 55.2% I think it was or 52.2 I mean if you can Over get 50. if you can get a, I mean a, for me I, I'm still sort of finding my feet with the cast strength stuff and it's that you have to really be I mean, a lot of tastings you go to, you, you know what you're getting with that and you know you're going to get some and, and that's yeah, it. I enjoy and, the cast strength. Aye, Graham, you know. Aye, puts but, hairs on your chest. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was about to say. <laughs> but, uh, but the thing is, I think it, 
if you can get a cast strength whiskey where you don't think you need to add any or too no. much water to it it really does for me it's and like it was that a, same thing as well you know how you said about like when you went up to the bar for the first time to try whiskey it's like when I had a sip of that jam first of all and I was like oh my god I don't need to I don't need to add I am a whiskey professional <laughs> I don't need to add water That's I am right. amazing I mean it, 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 there is a sort and, of and, and, and I, I, I've probably I, 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 I can't remember which whiskey it was with but I've had that revelation too and that I remember you know I've told the story on here and my dad's Ard Beg, and it was you know, eighteen year old trying your dad's Ard Beg. Yeah. You know, oh, it, yeah. it was it was you know. So actually, you know, I think certainly, I mean, going back a few years before I really was drinking whiskey a lot, the common complaint I you know, if I speak to somebody perhaps in my office at work about whiskey, they'll say, oh, I can't, I can't stomach it. it burns the back of my throat. I just don't enjoy it. And I was a little bit like that as well. So I do remember the first time it was like. You know, this is a cast drink whiskey. This is fifty five percent or whatever it was, and you're going, oh, I can actually drink that. Yeah. You, know, uh, you know, it was a revelation. Um, yeah, no, uh, there's a smugness to it as well. Being like, I don't need that. Look at me, I'm Scottish and I yeah, enjoy whiskey. I can have that. I am a stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my taste buds have been suitably numbed by that point, straight from the cask. That's how we have it. Okay, so that's your two, right? Give us your last one then. I think my last one is my favourite whiskey at the moment just now as well. It has to be. Glenfiddich 15. Glenfiddich 15. Just Glenn a Glenn timeless 15. classic. It certainly is. We, we enjoyed a bottle of Glenfiddich 15 on a train back from Inverness a couple of years ago. Yes. Uh, That's some scenic that was, drumming you're doing right that, now. That was a sensational experience. I really, I, and, and actually it encouraged me. I, I hadn't really necessarily had Glenfiddich 15 to that quantity yeah. <laughs> at one point <laughs> and and and, and a, a, after after that evening I, I did next time I saw it on offer in a supermarket I, I bought it straight away I mean, I think and, it, and, it, and it disappeared very quickly it's my go-to I think yeah I mean it, that's still am I right in saying it's the Solera cask yeah, yeah. so uh, let me get this right it's been a while since I remember hearing about this so it's like the Solera cask started in 1998 or something yes mm-hmm. and basically it's never been officially drained yeah. as such so what you're the, the 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 selling point the marketing point of this is that technically it's, there could still be molecules from the 90s within that yeah vat yeah, yeah. And, and and that that's a unique thing. You won't find other you won't find another fifteen year old whiskey that's been that that's produced in that way. So yeah. that I think you know it's such a such a special bottle in that sense because oh, yeah. you're buying something. You know, there's many many bottles of fifteen year old malt you can buy, but there's not another one produced in yeah. that way. So you're absolutely right. So what was the reason? What, what what is the reason behind that? What's your sort of? I just find it a really nice jam for. It would be like my everyday jam, I think. Yeah. It's just perfect for all occasions. And it's also one of the first, like, age malts I had in a cocktail as well. Right, and yeah. I used it once in a customer pitch when they were like, no, we can't use anything. But that's like, look, you've got Glenfrey 15 on your back bar. Do me a favour and make an old-fashioned with that. Okay, go and try it. Really? You can charge a bit more for that because yeah. there's aged malt in there. And then they gave it to me to try and I was like, oh my gosh, I did that on a whim and that actually tastes <laughs> really quite good. <laughs> I'm going to have to try that because that is something I wouldn't yeah. have done. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a Glenfiddich 15 is a sort of go-to gifting dram for me as well. Oh, yeah. Because I think to myself, like, it's a yeah. if you're giving it to somebody 
and maybe you don't know whether they're a whiskey enthusiast or anything like that. What they're getting is a, a very good whiskey, number one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're getting a recognisable brand, number two. Mm-hmm. And they're getting a whiskey that maybe they're not going, oh, he's just picked that up in the co-op around the corner for us. Yeah. And, and you, you, you're absolutely right. And, I, 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 and it's reasonably you, priced you, as well. Yeah. If, you're, if you're a whiskey fanatic, you're not going to complain about getting a bottle of 15-year-old Glenfiddich. But if you're a whiskey novice, you're going to look at that and go, oh, that's, that's quite nice. That's yeah, nice. Oh, special. As well, it, you're absolutely right. As, uh, you, and yeah, It's a good gift. I'll be getting that from Angus for Christmas now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's your sort of <laughs> You'll get the 12. <laughs> it was a hip flask wedding at my... Hip flask wedding? The hip flask jam at my um, best friend from Harris's wedding really? a couple of years ago as well. Yeah. Her dad just whipped out a bottle of 15, was decanting it all. Ah, oh, brilliant. Jam for him. Jam for the hip flask. Jam for him, oh, and I was great. like, "Oh, you've got a good taste." Yeah, that that definitely is it. Well, listen, I think that's about time for this week. We've done really, really well. Thank you so much, Hazel. Thank for you so much on. for inviting me. Thank you. I loved it, it. It's been great to have you here. And uh, like I say, you can check Hazel out, Hazy Drams, on her Instagram account. And uh, you know, as I say, if anyone from the William Grant and Sons has been listening to this podcast, <laughs> chuck us a t-shirt. You know. <laughs> but we will be having another we will be having a, if anyone's listening thinking, this is a bit of like, you know Glenfiddich heavy podcast we are an official Glenfiddich podcast but we would be open to that however uh, we will be getting other companies available but listen thank you very much for listening don't forget to please give us a like and a share the more that you guys put us out there the more we can connect with other whiskey fans around the world that's what Whiskey Stories is all about as Ross Barr very well said in the very first episode there's no such thing as bad whiskey it's bad company and so far we've not had any bad company Angus have we? No, no bad whiskey either. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) That's it.